Tonight as we finish this wonderful book called Ephesians, we come to the 6th chapter, beginning in verse 18, and we'll work our way through the rest of the book. And it, as you can see on your notes there, we want to talk to you tonight about intensive intercession. In the summer of 1876, grasshoppers nearly destroyed the crops in Minnesota, and I don't mean in just uh, a city or a village or even a county of Minnesota, but I mean the grasshoppers nearly destroyed the entire crop of wheat throughout the state of Minnesota in 1876. It was devastating to their economy, devastating to little family farms. And so in the spring of 1877, farmers were worried that the same thing would happen again. They believed that the dreadful plague uh, that had visited them the previous year would come again this year and destroy the wheat crop and perhaps wipe them out financially. The situation was so serious that they pleaded for the governor, Governor John Pillsbury, to have a day of prayer. I guess this was before the separation of church and state. Or maybe if you just get desperate enough, you don't care about separation of church and state. But, but I'll go on. The situation was so serious that Governor John Pillsbury proclaimed April the 26th as a day of fair prayer and fasting. He urged every man and woman and child to ask God to prevent this terrible plague uh, on their land again. And on that day, this is so interesting to me, on that day, across the state of Minnesota, all the schools, all the, stop, all the, the, the shops and stores and offices were closed. Everything shut down on that day across Minnesota. And there was a reverent, quiet hush across the state as God's people prayed. Next day was very interesting. The next day dawned. It was a bright, clear day. In fact, temperatures soared to what ordinarily would be midsummer temperatures. And it was very peculiar for April. Minnesotans were devastated when they began to see what was happening because what happened was in that warm weather, billions, not millions, billions of grasshopper larvae were wiggling to life. Second day, the same thing. Third day, the same thing. Billions of larvae were wiggling to life in that warm temperature. It appeared that it wouldn't be long before they would begin feeding and destroying the crops across the state once again. On the fourth day, however, the temperature plunged. On the fourth day, suddenly the temperature plunged, the night frost covered the earth, and it killed every one of the creeping, crawling little critters. Grateful farmers never forgot that day. It went down in history in Minnesota as the day when God answered the prayer of His people. And in fact, some people were so grateful to God in Cold Spring, Minnesota, that they constructed a chapel, and they call it the Grasshopper Chapel. The Grasshopper Chapel was constructed to remind people of the day that God answered prayers and delivered His people. That event in Minnesota 137 years ago shows what can happen when God's people are willing to pray, and pray not only for themselves, but also to pray for others. And you know, that's when prayer really becomes exciting, when you can actually see your prayers being answered in somebody else's life. That's exciting to know that somebody comes to you and says, hey, guess what happened? And, 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 it, and you've had this happen before. They, they start telling you about something that happens, and you just smile because you had just prayed about that two days ago. And now 
the answer was there. And they may or may not have known that you were praying, but, but you, were, you were either smiling or smiling inside because you knew. You knew. God had answered your prayers. Can I remind you that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was also, or and is also, a prayer intercessor? He came into this world not just to talk to people about God, but while he was here, he talked to God about people. And in fact, Romans 8 tells us that even now in heaven, he continues to pray for us, interceding for us on our behalf. So as Paul closes this letter to Ephesians, he closes it uh, by encouraging the people of God to be intercessors. It's interesting the context in which this text appears. In, in chapter 6, open, if you haven't opened your Bibles already, chapter 6, we talked the last two weeks in, in verses 10 through 17 about the armor of God. The spiritual warfare that we face on a daily basis. Because the struggles we face are real and the battles we fight are difficult, we need to stand in the gap and we need to pray for others and we need other people to pray for us. Look at verse 17, for example. Take the helmet of salvation of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's the end of that section on the spiritual armor of God. But verse 18, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying. For all the saints. Pray for me. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Apostle Paul knew, about all the, knew all about the spiritual armor of God, but he also knew the value of praying and how those two work together. So here's what I want to do tonight. You got your outline. I want to work our way through this text and talk to you about intensive intercession. Look at number one on your notes. Because of the need, that is, because we live in a time where we face a spiritual battle, we have a spiritual enemy, and because that enemy is sinister, because that enemy is, is, uh, uh, often fools us, we have a great need, and, and number one on your notes, because of the need, we should engage in intensive prayer. Verse 18, Paul tells us that. We should engage in intensive prayer. Paul begins in verse 18 by saying, and pray in the Spirit. This is a reminder that the battle is spiritual and must be fought in God's strength. Satan yields, put this on your notes. Uh, there's a couple of places there. The first one is that this battle of spiritual must be fought in God's strength, if you've got that on your notes. But the next note you've got there to fill out is this. Satan yields only what he must. Write that down. Therefore, the ground must be taken step by step as we pray in the Spirit. He will attack us at various times. You know that. And he, he will be relentless in his pursuit. Therefore, we need to pray, as Paul says, in the Spirit. And he says not only in the Spirit, but on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. He comes at us in different ways. He comes at us at different times. And so he says you need to pray in the Spirit, but, but not just pray in the Spirit. He said pray on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is the energy that, that enables us to stand and fight against our enemy, Satan. So when Paul told the Ephesian Christians to pray in the Spirit, he was simply saying do not overestimate your ability. And do not underestimate Satan's force. 
Don't just say your prayers, Paul said. Pray in the Spirit. Please note this. Don't just pray, but pray in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. I'll start with that. It does not mean to pray with some, in some kind of a trance. It does not mean to speak in some ecstatic utterance. It has nothing to do with tongues. But rather, it's relying on the Holy Spirit to help you as you pray. As you pray, rely on the Holy Spirit to help you. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. It means to pray leaning on the Holy Spirit to help you. We recognize that there is a supernatural element of prayer. And if you're facing a supernatural enemy, Satan, you need the supernatural power of God. You obtain that power through prayer. True story. It's a good little story, but there was a lady named Barbara Kirby, I believe was her name. Let me get my note. Barbara, yeah, Barbara Kirby was telling about the time when she was a teenager learning to drive. Her dad took her to a school parking lot, and she was learning to drive, and her three-year-old sister was in the back seat. And Barbara was the nervous teenager. Any parents remember what it's like to teach your teenagers how to drive? Oh, man, you talk about prayer, intensive prayer. Now, that is intensive prayer. Uh, good night. So, so Barbara was, was the little teenage girl, and her daddy was teaching her to drive, and she was trying to make this curve, and she hit the, she hit the curb, trying to make the turn, and she hit the curb. And when she hit the curb, her little three-year-old sister in the back said, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. And Barbara slammed on the brakes. She was already mad because she hit the curb. And she turned to her little sister. You know how sisters, and especially big sister, little sister. She slammed on the brakes. She turned to her sister and said, What are you doing? She said, Well, you're driving scares me. And that's the only prayer I know. <laughs> I'll tell you something. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that we're a lot like that little girl. We have a resource in scary times. When we don't quite know what to say. In those scary times when we don't quite have the words. We have a resource of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Look in, I think it's Romans chapter 8 verse 26. Let me make sure I've got that right. Romans chapter 8. Let's go go there. Yes. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Aren't you glad He does? Helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. You know what that means? It means the Holy Spirit of God prays for you in a way that you're not even capable of praying. He talks to the Father on your behalf with words that you could not ever express. He has insight you do not have. Insight into you, insight into your problem, insight into God. And the Holy Spirit becomes that link between you and God. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And He's praying on our behalf. And look what it says in verse 27. And He, the Holy Spirit, 
I'm sorry, God. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. You see, sometimes, come on, let's get honest. Sometimes I pray for things that probably aren't God's will. You ever done that? Why do we do that? Talk to me. Why do we sometimes pray for things that, we, that may not be God's will? It's what we want, exactly. I mean, this is what we want, you know? God, this is what I want. This is, and it's okay, I mean, it's okay to ask God for things. It's okay to go before the Heavenly Father. You're not going to know His will perfectly. I want to tell you something about the Holy Spirit. Whenever He prays, He prays perfectly in, in accord with God's holy will. I love the way it's described there. The Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So put this on your notes. Praying in the Spirit means that the Spirit of God helps us when we pray. It's not talking about some ecstatic utterance. It's not talking about praying in tongues. It means relying that the Holy Spirit of God helps us when we pray. You see, when we pray in the Spirit instead of... This is so good. When we pray in the Spirit instead of one praying, put this on your notes. When we pray in the Spirit instead of one praying, there is actually two. Isn't that good? You don't just have one praying when you're praying in the Spirit. You actually have two. Because the Holy Spirit is praying with you, and the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Now, I, I will tell you right now that I'm not a military strategist. I'll tell you right now, I've never served in the military. But one of the things that you hear when there's the battle in Afghanistan or in Iraq or wherever it is, uh, you'll hear that, first of all, that the, the military usually sends in the Air Force. And, and we hit them with all that we can from the planes. We, we bombard them. Uh, we, ground troops are essential to winning the battle, but air superiority gives you an overwhelming advantage. And so if you can come in first with, with the Air Force and, and drop the bombs and all that kind of thing, uh, if you can blow up their defenses, so to speak, then it's going to make it so much easier for the ground force. Paul says our air support is prayer. Our air support is the Holy Spirit praying with us and for us. We're the ground troops in enemy territory, aren't we? And we have a resource in God. But unlike regular armies, God's army relies on supernatural power. So that's, that's the first point. Let's go to number two. Because of the need, we should engage in intercessory prayer. We talked about intensive prayer. But because of the need, we should also engage in intercessory prayer. Paul says in the second part of verse 18, let me get back to Ephesians. The second part of verse 18, look how, how he says this. With this in mind, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Notice Paul says to pray for all the saints. It struck me that usually, do you know when we pray for folks? We usually pray for folks after they've fallen into temptation. We pray for folks after their marriage is, is about to end. We pray for folks after they have physical or financial difficulties. And again, there's nothing wrong with praying for folks during those times. But I wonder what heartaches we could avoid if we were a church where we prayed for all the saints. If we prayed for them be 
when they were healthy, as well as those who are sick. If we prayed for those who have financial problems and those who are financially secure, if we prayed for strong marriages, and we also prayed for those whose marriages are falling apart. Part of our role as a child of God, is Paul says right here, is to pray for, for all the saints. But whoa, 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 whoa. Let, me, let me tell you one other thing about that. What he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I believe not only is it talking about praying for those people who we normally wouldn't pray for, those who are healthy and wealthy and everything's going well, we need to make sure we're praying for all of the, the church. But it also perhaps indicates that in intercessory prayer, Sometimes you've got to pray for those people you're not talking to very much. You know what I've learned? I've learned that if you'll start praying for folks, it's a whole lot harder to be mad at them. You, maybe you need to write that one down. There's not a blank, but maybe you need to remember that. Uh, you know what I've learned also in marriage? It's a whole lot harder to be mad at her if I'm praying for her. And she's learned that a lot with me, I'm sure. I'm not even looking at her right now. But, <laughs> but it's so true. You, you know, instead of, instead of criticizing somebody, instead of complaining about somebody, instead of attacking somebody, what if we prayed for all the saints? What if we spent time, instead of just getting upset about them, and just, what if you spent time praying for them? I guarantee you it's so much harder to get mad at them or to stay mad at them if you're praying for them. Oh, me or amen? Both, right? <laughs> Intercession requires basically two things. They're listed here in the text for us. The first one is this, if you want to put it in your notes. It requires, first of all, that we stay alert. We stay alert. <clears throat> he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. With this in mind, be alert. It's another way of saying, you could put it this way. You might want to put it in parentheses beside it. Pray with your eyes open. Now, I don't mean literally that that's how you have to pray. But the phrase, pray with your eyes open, or watch and pray, often occurs in the Bible. Watch and pray. Let me give you an example. Go to Mark chapter 14, verse 37. Mark chapter 14. Verse 37. Then he returned to his disciples. Jesus returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. There's just one of several examples where we're told to watch and pray. Peter was sleeping when he should have been praying, and the result was a victory for Satan. 
If you're going to seize the moment of intercession for others, you have to be alert and detect those times when you really need to pray with your eyes open. Those times when you really need to be alert to what's going on around you. Those times when you really need to be alert not only to the needs in your life, but listen to this, but to the needs in the lives of others. See, when you watch and pray, as you're watching, you see something in someone's life. You see a need in their life. You notice something perhaps they don't even notice. You notice that maybe they're about to wander off the path. You can see it because you were there once. You know that maybe, you've noticed maybe their marriage isn't quite what it ought to be. And you know that because perhaps you've experienced that. Stay alert. Watch and pray. If you're going to seize the moment as an intercession, as an intercessor, you have to pray with your eyes open sometimes. Watch and pray. So intercession requires that we stay alert. Number two, intercession requires that we be persistent. You put that on your notes. We be persistent. He, here's what... Here's what Paul said. Let me go back to Ephesians. He said, With this in mind, be alert and always, everybody say always, and always keep on praying. Underline that if you like to mark your Bibles. Keep on praying. Always keep on praying for all the saints. Always keep on praying. Now, come on, let's get honest. Have you ever been tempted to give up in prayer? Yes. Where do you suppose that thought comes from? Absolutely. Do you think God ever says, you know, I I think I'd give up on that? Now, sometimes God might say, no, I've, I've given you an answer to that. But put this on your notes. I think there's a blank there on your notes. There is nothing pleasing to God in our giving up. Desperate circumstances call for desperate prayer. The the Greek word, always keep on praying, it simply means stick with it and don't quit. Always keep on praying. Always keep on praying. You don't have a reason to stop, but you've got every reason to continue. There's a poem that says, I don't know who wrote it, it says, just keep on praying till light breaks through. The Lord will answer. He'll answer you. God keeps His promise. His word is true. Just keep on praying till light breaks through. Intercessory prayer is not glamorous, is it? In fact, a lot of times people don't even know you're praying. You're not on the stage. You're not in the limelight. Intercessory prayer is hard work. And sometimes you just have to keep at it. And keep at it. And keep at it. But when the answer finally arrives, it is thrilling to see. Always keep on praying. Now, I wonder if you'd be willing to stand in the gap for somebody in intercessory prayer. He talks about it right there. Let me read it one more time before I tell you. He says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Did you know that we have an intercessory prayer ministry at our church? Uh, you may not know about it, so let me explain it to you very quickly. We've got a room right behind the sanctuary, second floor, about right there in that corner. And uh, it's open, when the church is open, for you to come and to pray 
for people in our church. You, know, you might have noticed little boxes around the church. There's one out in the foyer, a wooden box that says intercessory prayer ministry. And, and there's cards, I believe, in the pew rack there, the intercessory prayer ministry cards. And, and the, the idea is, is a very simple one, that if you come, is the card right here, Kayla, is that? Thank you. The idea is very simple, that you come here on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night or whenever, if there's a prayer need in your life, that you'd fill out this card. Fill out the need, fill out your name, the need as best you can. And you can mark whether you'd like this to be private or not. And, and if, you need some, if you'd like someone to send a note of encouragement to this person, uh, if you're praying for somebody else, or, or to keep it private, you, you can mark all, all kinds of things on this prayer card. Then you take it and put it in that little wooden box out there. Then somebody comes along later in the week and they pick it out of the box. They take it to the prayer room and they post it. They, they put it up on the prayer board and, and that's where our people then come in and they pray over the needs that we have. And we've got a very small group of people that are doing that right now. But if you'd like to join that group, we would love for you to be part of that prayer team where you are practicing intensive intercession for others. Well, let me bring you to the third point here. Intensive intercession allows us to share the victory. It allows us to share the victory. Verse 19 and 20, Paul said, and I love this, I love this. Paul says, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. There's two things I like about that verse. One is the fact that Paul was not ashamed to say, hey, would you pray for me? Now, don't answer this out loud. When was the last time you actually asked somebody to pray for you? Don't, don't answer that out loud. When was the last time you, you actually went say, Rick, would you pray for me? I, I, I got this thing I'm facing this week or... I'm dealing with this issue, and, and, and I just appreciate it. Would you pray for me? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you trusted somebody enough, got humble enough, to go to a friend, to go to a church member, to go to a BSF member, to go to somebody and say, hey, would you pray for me? Now, it's easier to do the opposite. It's easier to say, hey, I'll, I'll be praying for you. It, that's a whole lot easier, isn't it? It's easier to say, Ron, I'm praying for you, brother. That's easy. You know why? That kind of makes me feel good. I'm praying for you, you know. I, I, I got the, I'm, I'm with it. I'm praying for you. But when I say, Ron, would you pray for me? Then that really humbles me. But I love the Apostle Paul. The great Apostle Paul. Church planner, missionary, writer of 13 books of the New Testament, the great Apostle Paul says this in verse 19. He says, pray also for me. And the second thing that I like about this is what he asked them to pray for. Can I remind you that when he wrote this, he was in prison. Do you know what the prayer request would be if I were Paul? Absolutely. No-brainer, Right? Pray for me that God would get me out of here. Just, just pray for me that God would get me released. This is why Paul is so much higher than I am. 
in the spiritual ladder. Here's what Paul prays, or asks them to pray. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And did you notice he said that whenever I open my mouth, words will be given to me. It's as if Paul said, you know, while I'm sitting here in this prison and I'm in these chains, sometimes I don't know, even know what to say anymore. I mean, have you ever been in a dark place where it was like, I want to believe, but it's hard to believe? Or, or maybe it's just been a time of struggle where you're just kind of tired and worn out. Or, or maybe it's just that it's an overwhelming opportunity that is yours. And you know it's a great opportunity, but you just don't want to blow it. And you're just not sure what to say. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You want to say the right thing. And, and, and you're just kind of overwhelmed by the opportunity. And Paul, I don't know what was prompted him, but he said, pray. He didn't just say, pray that I'll have courage. He said, pray that God will give me the words. Because right now I don't have them. Pray for me also that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. He was so kingdom focused for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray, he says, that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I think this is probably one of the greatest aspects of intercessory prayer, that when we pray for others, we can actually share in the victory that they experience. I don't know if you've ever thought about it in that term. But Paul was in prison when he wrote this. In prison in Rome. He was writing to people in, the, in what city? Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor. But Paul understood that distance doesn't matter to God. Paul is in Rome, they're in Ephesus, they're nowhere close to one another geographically. And I don't understand how it all works, but Paul says, Hey, you folks over there in Ephesus, would you be sure to pray for me here in Rome? And if you will talk to God in heaven, He will do something to help me here in Rome. Folks, I don't understand how prayer works. I don't understand how my prayers in South Carolina can bring a a fresh surge of energy. Uh, to, to the folks in Costa Rica. I don't understand how my prayers here at, at Mount Airy can encourage the Lawsons in Uganda. I, I, I don't understand how my prayers in my office can, can have a part in somebody being saved through the ministry of Gateway Church in Cleveland. But prayer annihilates the difference. We can share in victories around the world when we pray on behalf of somebody else. We get to share in the victory. Paul asked that the Christians in Ephesus would pray for two things. Pray for the right words to say, and pray for the courage to say it. And if they prayed for Paul, if they were faithful to intercede for Paul, as he said, whenever Paul was sharing Christ with the Roman guard and led that guard to the the Lord, guess who shared in the victory? The people in Ephesus. When Paul would stand before Nero and declare his testimony... And he was not silent, but he had great, church, great courage to stand before Nero. Guess who shared in that victory? The people in Ephesus who prayed for him. 
You see, don't miss the obvious lesson. Oftentimes, oftentimes when there is a frontline person ministering, there are one or more people behind the scene praying. So often that is the case. I'm not trying to put myself on a platform, on a pedestal by any means but you see me on the platform on Sunday morning you see me up here preaching and you see me up here teaching and all that kind of thing you see me up here but what you don't see is that on Sunday morning I've told you this before but on Sunday mornings like this morning I I had what four or five people part of my prayer partners who met in my office with me before I came out to speak and if there's any victories won here today in the sanctuary any victories through the message they shared in that victory. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, today after the service, sweet couple, been attending the church now for, I, I don't know, a couple of months maybe. Husband and wife came to the tent in tears. And they said, God really met a need in our lives today through that message. They both were weeping. Both of them. God really met a need in our lives today through that message. I don't know what their needs were. God knows. But what I do know is this. We shared in the victory today. You four or five who were in my office praying with me, you share in that victory. I didn't win the victory, by the way. God did. I have a feeling that when we stand in heaven, we're going to be surprised that God did so much through the prayers of others. Those times when we thought it was all us, we didn't realize the others who were standing behind us in prayer. You know, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. We don't have time, I don't think, to really read it. But if you want to write down this reference, Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. In the Old Testament, uh, Moses was on the hilltop praying, and Joshua was in the valley fighting the battle. And Aaron and Hur came alongside Moses and held up his arms because Moses, so long as his arms were up, They were winning the battle, but as he interceded to God, they were winning the battle. But when his arms would get tired, they were losing the battle. So Aaron and Hur came and they stood beside him and they held his arms up so he could continue to pray. And the battle was won. Sometimes we all need an Aaron and a Hur to stand beside us in prayer. I've got to read you this story. I thought about just trying to tell it to you, but I think it'll be more effective if I read it to you. True story. Great example of everything we've talked about here tonight. Just listen to this. 190 years ago, a shoe repairman in England began to be concerned about the world's heathen peoples. He would pound away on his shoes, looking at a map as he placed a, looking at a map he had placed above his workbench. 
and on which he had written the few facts he could garner from Captain Cook's travels and other books, he would pray for the salvation of people in distant lands. So here's, here's the deal. This guy was working on shoes, repairing shoes, and as he was sitting there hammering shoes, he would look at this map, and he would pray for people in distant lands who didn't know the Lord. William Carey, who described himself as a self-educated, ungifted plotter, went on to become the father of modern missions. Through his influence, Britain's first missionary society was formed. But only after Carey overcame great reluctance among his Baptist brethren. Soon afterward, he went as a missionary himself to India, but only after being put off, being put off his British ship and having to take a Danish boat instead. His wife at first refused to go with him, and he refused to, and refused to allow their children to go. She was persuaded differently only after Carey had already boarded the ship. He's like, well, I'm going. And she eventually said, okay. Once in India, where he spent 42 years, Carey and his co-workers translated the entire Bible into 25 Indian languages and the New Testament, or parts of it, into 15 more. Many books have been written about William Carey, but to my knowledge, not one has been written about his little-known sister, a bedridden cripple. She and Carrie were very close, and from India, he wrote to her about all the details and problems of his work. Hour after hour, week after week, she would lift those concerns to the Lord in prayer. So I wonder, who was responsible for the success of William Carey's ministry? How does God apportion the credit? A good verse on this is 1 Samuel thirty twenty four. The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that as, as him who went to the battle. All will share alike. I wonder if God isn't saying to us that we can have a worldwide impact without ever leaving our hometown or our country. I'm not saying you shouldn't go. But it is saying there is power in intensive, in intensive intercession. And sometimes we get to share in the victories. Whenever somebody gives a mission report, we say, well, you can participate in three ways. You can pray, you can go, you can give. All of those are true. All of those are true. But if you will pray, and pray, and pray, whether you ever go, God might do something amazing through that individual who is there. But if you'll keep on praying, you'll probably want to go yourself. You'll want to go be part of it. You'll want to go share in it. I was about to close without reading the rest of the verses. Y'all couldn't sleep if we didn't finish... So let's read the rest of the verses, because the last verse is a great one. Uh, verse 21, he says, as he closes the letter, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you with this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this is the, a good verse, verse 24. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. 
with an undying love. Boy, isn't that beautiful? That's what I hope we have. Not a love that fades. Not a love that's here today and gone tomorrow. Not a love that's, that's there so long as everything's good. But it's an undying love. Let's pray about that now. Father, thank you for this word, this book we call Ephesians. And may we have that undying love. Because of our love for you, would you continue to work a special work in our lives, God? Because of our love for you, will you shape us and mold us to bring honor and glory to your name? And help us, help me. God, I got so much to do, so many Areas where I need to improve in prayer are probably none greater than intercessory prayer. Help me to pray for all the saints and to never give up and to keep on praying. And thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that prays with us and for us sometimes when words are not enough. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.